Hello, everybody. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am covering in this audio, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 10. Our context is this. In chapter 4, Paul had finished up that chapter by talking about the treasures, which is the Holy Spirit, the gospel. It was held in jars of clay, his personal body, which was being persecuted and beaten and whipped and so forth. But he had treasures in that body. And then he talked about how the momentary light affliction that he was suffering would be nothing compared to the weight of glory that he had. So he's got this idea of glory coming up, and that fits right in with chapter 5, because in chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, Paul is going to talk about his heavenly dwelling, as opposed to his weak, transient, temporary body that could be seen now that was experiencing that light momentary affliction. So we start with verse 1 in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says this, For we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, he's talking about his body, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. And so Paul is using a metaphor here, comparing our bodies with buildings. Now when he says, For we know that if our temporary earthly building is destroyed, that's referring to the last couple of verses in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. Where Paul says this, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And then he says, For we know that if our temporary earthly building is destroyed. In other words, what is seen is temporary, our temporary earthly building is temporary, and it will be destroyed at some point, of course. And when he says, if it will be destroyed, he really means when, because obviously we're all going to die, unless he's talking about the people that are alive at the second coming of Christ. But I'm assuming he's talking about most people that are going to die. And he's saying, but that's okay. Nothing to worry about. This is a great passage for funerals, folks. Ain't nothing to worry about, because our earthly belly is temporary. But our building from God, our resurrecting body, is going to be eternal. It's going to be a something we live in, an eternal dwelling. A dwelling is a place you live. Our body is a place where our soul lives in it. We see that Christianity is not Gnostic. The resurrection of the body plays an incredibly important part in the final saga of redemption history. First Corinthians 15, Paul talked all about the resurrection of the body. He says you can't deny it. If you are, you're of all people most miserable. And now here he talks about the great hope there is in having a resurrected body. So our eternal dwelling in the heavens is a building not made with hands. In other words, it's not an earthly building that people use hammers and saws on. It's, it's, given, it's made by God. Now, the NIV has for dwelling, the NIV has for dwelling, our earthly dwelling, our earthly tent. Now, tents are flimsy and temporary. So our bodies are frail, vulnerable, and wasting away, as the NIV Study Bible puts it. So that's a good metaphor there. The frailty of our body is emphasized by Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, the last chapter. He says this, Therefore we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed. Our inner person is being renewed day by day. Our outer person is weak. It's a tent. It's going to be ripped up. The pegs are going to be taken out of the ground. Whereas the tent that is earthly and temporary is contrasted with the eternal building from God. It's a building. A building is permanent. It's got foundations. It's got concrete laid in the foundation bricks stone mortar it's going to last it's eternal it's a solid permanent structure that is made to be an analogy with the resurrected body the work of god which is perfect and permanent now this eternal dwelling i must say here that i have just been assuming it's been the resurrection body i will point out though a lot of people are a lot of theologians say that this refers to the intermediate state it's an opinion which i've just recently come to not hold anymore but I need to mention it that 
as we consider the options of what this eternal dwelling is, this, this building in heaven that God's going to give us, what is it exactly? Option number one is the resurrected glorified body. That's the option I just presented to you without, without discussion at the first of this, at the first of this audio. This is mentioned by John Gill, Adam Clark, and Jameson Fawcett and Brown. After all, it's said to be an eternal dwelling. Does that sound like a temporary body in the intermediate state? See, here's what the problem is. If you, the resurrection of the body doesn't occur to the end of the world. Well, if you die now in AD 2020, well, that's not the end of the world. And so what happens to you when you go up to heaven? Is Paul, well, obviously you don't have a resurrected body, uh, the final resurrected glorified body yet. So some theologians say, well, therefore, well, there must be a temporary body. And Paul's talking about this temporary body here. I don't think he is. But in fact, in my humble opinion, is talking about the disembodied state. We have a disembodied state until the resurrection of the body. And I like to watch these out-of-body uh, Christian uh, videos about near-death experiences. And you always see they have they recognize each other, even though they can't touch each other because they're not they don't have bodies. But they can still resurrect. They can still see each other. And so a lot of people say it's it's a disembodied state. Some people say it's a disembodied state that is clothed with a temporary resurrected body. I don't believe in any of that. I believe that what Paul is talking about here is our final resurrected glorified body with which we will live with Jesus on earth and the new heavens and the earth, which includes earth. Now, here's some people who agree with me on that. Jameson Fawcett Brown says, quote, this house can only be the resurrection body. The intermediate state is not directly taken into account. In other words, Paul's not talking about the intermediate state. Let's assume that it's a disembodied, disembodied, a disembodied form that we take in the intermediate state, which is what I believe. But I don't think Paul's referring to that here. He's talking about the final resurrection body. There's too much talk of hope and, and, and eternal and, and building. It's permanent, especially when we're taking the context of the end of last chapter four. Here's another quote from a theologian, J. Richard Middleton, quote, Paul is not speaking of being with Christ immediately at death. Rather, he is looking to the second coming, at which time we will be raised and be with Christ in the new creation. That's what I think exactly what he's talking about. The final resurrection at the end of time. Well, anyway, that's the first option is what this eternal building is, is a resurrected glorified body. It's the option I take, and I'm going to continue to take it through this discussion. Here's another option. It's the state of blessedness in the intermediate state. It's just, oh, it's just wonderful. The eternal building is just being being with Jesus in the intermediate, in the intermediate state, and we don't really know exactly what form that'll take. This John Gill and Adam Clark mentioned that. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown disagree with that and say, hey, look, this eternal building is from heaven, so it can't be heaven itself. So option number two really is heaven. Oh, we're going to be with Jesus in heaven, and just we just say heaven. No, he's talking about the resurrected body at the end of time. This eternal dwelling is from heaven. In verse 2, we'll see in just a minute, it says, we desire to put on our dwelling from heaven. Well, if the building is from heaven and it is heaven itself, that doesn't make any sense. So we're going to toss that option, I think. Third option as to what this eternal building in the heavens is. Quote, this is from Adam Clark. It is a temporary habitation for the soul in the intermediate state. And Clark is a little bit fuzzy about exactly what that temporary state is going to look like. But he says it's a temporary state. The soul is to have, and this is a quotation from Adam Clark, quote, the soul is to have some vehicle in which it shall subsist till it receives its body at the resurrection. In other words, it's a temporary body. In other words, this is the majority default position that you hear people talk about all the time. I don't believe it. I believe that Paul is not worrying about the time before the final resurrection. He's not worried about the intermediate state. He's just telling us what the final product's going to be, our resurrected body. So basically, option C here, this temporary habitation is a temporary body. 
the Adam Clark position, a temporary body, which a lot of people take. Option number four is a disembodied state, that this eternal dwelling in the heavens is a disembodied state. Does eternal dwelling in the heavens sound like a disembodied state to you? Not to me. All right, so br- briefly summarizing the four options, this eternal building in the dwelling could be Christ's resurrected, glorified body. That's the correct option, in my humble opinion. Second option is just a, it's just heaven, going to heaven somewhere. Kind of, we're not going to talk about what the inter- intermediate body looks like. That's option number two. Option number three, it's a temporary body. Paul's talking about a temporary body. That eternal dwelling in the heavens is a temporary body. Eternal, temporary, really? I don't think so. Option number four is a disembodied state. So when we are there in this eternal dwelling, we are living in a disembodied ghost. Okay, so I've sort of given you my idea of what this is talking about, our resurrected body. We go to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 2 through 3. Indeed, we groan in this body, desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven. Since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. So Paul says we groan in this body. Why? Because our body is corruptible. It's not imperishable. It's perishable. It gets sick. It gets attacked by coronaviruses, and it just has a hard time surviving in this life. And that's why we groan in it. If you listen to people pray at church, what are the overwhelming majority of prayers about? Somebody's sick. So we groan in this body. Not to mention the fact that we get, the body gets old. Even if it's not sick, it's getting old, and it's getting it's heading for the grave, and everybody knows it. A lot of people push it down in their consciousness and don't think about it, but everybody knows it if they're confronted with it. So we grow in this body, we desire to put on our dwelling from heaven. The we there is talking about we Christians. We desire to put on our dwelling from heaven. We Christians always have the hope of the resurrected body. Unless you're a hyperpreterist heretic, you have a hope of this dwelling from heaven, this eternal resurrected body. Since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. So what Paul is saying is if you believe in heaven without a body, you believe that heaven is going to be a nudist colony. You're going to be walking around naked. No, you're not going to be floating around in your spiritual self with no physical body. The physical body is part of God's creation, and it's part of that which is going to be redeemed by God. And it's in all the creeds for all you creed lovers out there. And if you don't believe in the creeds, read your Bible, which we're reading right here. We are going to have a resurrected body. By the way, this first word in this verse, in verse 2, in the Holman Christian Study Bible is indeed, indeed, we grow into this body. Then IV has meanwhile, which would mean as we await for the Lord's return, a translation difference doesn't really matter. We wait for the Lord's return or our death and union with Christ in heaven, whichever comes first, because by golly, eventually we're going to have a resurrected body. Now, I said when we groan in this body because it's so frail and weakly, that's your typical view, and I think it's right here. Some people say it might mean we groan for in happiness. Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord as we contemplate our eternal dwelling in heaven. I don't think so. John Gill suggests that, but I don't believe that's true. Notice that this we desire to put on our dwelling from heaven. The body comes from heaven, but that does not mean it permanently lives in heaven, because where is our ultimate home? It's on this redeemed earth, as the theologian J. Richard Middleton has pointed out in a book and a series of essays, which I think are very good. Our ultimate home is on the redeemed earth. We're not going to be floating around in some ether in a disembodied state. The body comes from heaven, but that doesn't mean it lives in heaven, divorced from this earth. Now, when Paul says we are going to be clothed, we will not be found naked, he shifts his metaphors a little bit. The metaphor is somewhat mixed. The very dwelling that we have says is said to clothe us. We're kind of like we're clothed with our own house that we live in. 
We go to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, this temporary body of ours down here on earth, and we groan while we're in it, burdened as we are, because we not, do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We instinctively like immortality over mortality. We instinctively like life over death, and that's why we're burdened with the frailty of our human bodies and our human lives. Now, when... Paul says that our mortality may be swallowed up by life. The NIV Study Bible points out that Paul reverses the age-old metaphor about death being the great swallower. You're swallowed up by the grave? Well, no. Life is going to swallow up death. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. We go now to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. And the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God. What very purpose? To be clothed with our resurrected body at the end of time after the resurrection of the just and the unjust, God has prepared us for this. He's gave us gave us the Spirit as a down payment. That means our life in our temporary bodies down here on earth is temporary. And we have the Holy Spirit as a down payment. What's a down payment? It's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So we've got some good news. We got saved when the Holy Spirit came in and made us born again of an incorruptible spirit as his spirit mingled with our spirit and made a new creation out of us. Yes, sir, that's wonderful. But that's just a down payment. The best is yet to come. So we have the resurrection power of Jesus' life as a reality now in this present life. But that's a mere down payment for when we receive our glorified bodies. And that's when things are really going to be nice. Here's a scripture showing up this payment of the down payment, of the full payment for which the Holy Spirit is a down payment. Philippians 3 verse 21. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. He will transform the body of our humble condition, this frail, this burdensome body of ours that's always breaking down and getting older and is, is being destroyed, as Paul puts it, the body of our humble condition that will be transformed in the likeness of his glorious body. What did Jesus' glorious body look like when it was resurrected from the dead? I don't know, but I'm sure it was pretty good. It ain't going to die anymore, and that's what we're going to be like. So down payment is similar to first fruits. The metaphor is very similar. You give God the first fruits of your harvest. That means all the harvest belongs to him. But the first fruits is just a, a part of the harvest, which shows that the whole harvest belongs to him. Romans 8.23, and not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption. And what is our adoption? The redemption of our bodies. B-O-D-I-E-S. The redemption of our bodies. How hyperpreterist heretics can read this and teach their abominable, gangrenous heresy is beyond belief to me. The Spirit is the first fruits. The harvest is coming later with the redemption of our glorified bodies. Now, the verse says here, the one who prepared us for this very purpose, I just assumed the purpose was to receive a glorified, resurrected body. Some people say, John Gill suggests that it perhaps means sufferings, and the one who prepared us for this very purpose, the Spirit, prepared us for sufferings as God, and the reason he gave us sufferings is so that we would know that the sufferings are going to be overcome, the momentary light affliction is going to be overcome by the resurrected body. I don't think that that's what Paul meant. I think he meant that the purpose he's God has prepared us to end up in a resurrected, glorified body. That's his purpose, and God gets what he wants. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians 5, so we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Now, when he says at home in the body, he means at home on this earth in our physical, temporary, weak, fleshly, perishable, mortal bodies. Now, when Paul says, we know that while we are at home 
in the body, we are away from the Lord. He means physically away from the Lord, not spiritually away from the Lord. As the NIV Study Bible says, this does not mean that we are deprived of the Lord's spiritual presence with us on earth. While we're at home in the body, home in our temporary fleshly body, we are away from the Lord, so he's not with us? Of course not. It means we're away from the Lord physically. Now, we have a question here. Why would Paul be confident because we are here physically at home in the body on earth away from the Lord? What's being, what's so, why would being away from Jesus physically make us confident? Well, I think the answer to that is, is Paul is, is implying that we are only temporarily away from the Lord. We are always confident to know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. But that being away from the Lord is only temporary because we are eventually going to be up with in heaven with him and see him face to face. And the reason we're confident now, he gives in the next verse, the next verse which says, we walk by faith and not by sight, that well-known verse. We walk by faith. We don't see our resurrected body in heaven with Jesus. We don't see Jesus physically now because we're walking by faith. And that's why we're confident. And Paul says we are always confident. That means under all trials, no matter what trials come, we're always confident. We go now to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight, Paul says. Now this is, of course, a very well a good verse. I'm just going to read you some other scriptures that give that same idea of being on this earth where we can't see God perfectly. We can't see him at all physically. But we nonetheless believe anyway. We trust faith. The other word for faith is trust. The Greek word is Theo means exactly faith and trust. It's the, they're two synonyms. It means the same thing, to trust. We trust in God. We have faith in him. We believe in him. It's another synonym. Second Corinthians 4.18, So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Romans 8.24, Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? You look at your decaying body, you don't have any hope, do you? You don't hope for what you see. You have faith to believe that you're going to have a resurrected, glorified body. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. We see indistinctly as in a mirror, but pretty soon we're going to see as in face to face clearly. 1 Peter 1, 8, You love him, though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Even though we can't see him, we still believe in him. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. You want reality? You want proof? The answer to that is faith. 2 Corinthians 5.8, And we are confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. There's the confidence again that Paul has. He wasn't a doubter tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. He is confident, and when he's confident, he's satisfied. Satisfied to die, and, and that's why Paul was not afraid of dying, because he knew what happened on the other side of death. He was going to be all right. He's going to be in great shape. We are confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. So you heard the expression, going home. So-and-so died. We had the funeral. He went home at his home going, as they say down here in the south. Well, that's exactly what Paul says. We go to die, we be with Jesus, and we are at home. Now, there's two options as to what Paul is referring here. He could be referring to the intermediate state before the final resurrection. I've already told you I don't believe that. But let's just say it is that that's what Paul is being so confident and satisfied about going to the intermediate state. This is not a limbo of oblivion, as the NIV Study Bible puts it. It's not soul sleep. Why would Paul be satisfied with that? Oh, I'm going to go take a nap in heaven. No, he, he's talking about being with Jesus. He says in Philippians 1.23, I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. 
or to stay and minister to the Philippians, why would he desire to part and be with Christ while he's sleeping, soul sleeping? He wants to be with Christ. He don't want to be taking a nap in heaven. Now, if that's what Paul is referring to, that, of course, would be a disembodied state, as the NLA Study Bible points out, and Jameson Foss and Brown suggest. I don't think that Paul is talking about a disembodied state. I think he's talking about being in the presence of Jesus with his resurrected body at the end of time. He's not talk, talking about the intermediate state, even though in the intermediate state, I do believe it, it, it has to be some kind of, it probably is some kind of disembodied state intermediately, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He wants to be at home with the Lord ultimately. So option number two, being at home with the Lord, refers to being at home with Jesus in the final resurrected glorified body. This is the opinion of J. Richard Middleton, the theologian whose webpage I discovered when I started thinking about this and said, you know, I believe Paul's talking about the resurrected body after having just read 1 Corinthians 4, got the context in my head. It just instinctively seemed to me he was talking about the resurrected glorified body. He was not talking about some kind of temporary body or disembodied situation in intermediate state. And J. Richard Middleton, you ought to look him up on the internet. He's got some good articles on this. I think he's exactly right. He basically goes by context to prove it. Look at, because the context connects in the presence of Jesus with the resurrected body. Now remember in our verse, verse 8, we're talking about being at home with the Lord. That's in the presence of Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 4.14 connects being in the presence of Jesus with the resurrected body, not an intermediate state. Let me read that. 2 Corinthians 4.14, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. So there you have, we will be raised, and we will be in his presence. And that's 2 Corinthians 4.14 4, itself. 2 Corinthians 5.8, we will be at home with the Lord in his presence, and the implication is, it's because we're going to be in our resurrected body, which is the context of what he's talking about here. We go to verse 9, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, at home means with Jesus, or away, that means away from Jesus on this, as strangers and aliens and pilgrims on this earth, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Whether we're dead or alive, in other words, we, we're going to please Jesus. And by the way, if being in the, after we die, we go into soul sleep, an intermediate state of soul sleep, which most Christians don't agree with that. But if you do, let me ask you a question. How can you aim to please Jesus while you're sleeping? By not snoring too loud? You make it your aim to be pleasing to Jesus. You've got to be awake to do that. Whether you're at home on the earth, in heaven with Jesus, or away from Jesus on the planet. Those two words, home and away, could be a little bit confusing. Does it mean home at earth or home with Jesus? Or, away from, or does away mean away from home uh, or away from Jesus? Well, to satisfy that problem, to answer that problem, we look at the previous verse, and the previous verse says that, we are confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. So at home means with the Lord. So when it says at home in verse 9, that's with the Lord. We are at home with the Lord or away from the Lord on the earth. Adam Barnes uh, agrees with that. So now we go to Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. Now, Notice that this judgment is in the body, which means that the same body that did the sin is going to get punished for the sin. And if he's talking about Christians here, which he probably is, so he's talking about the good things that we have done through Christ in the body, or the same, that same body is going to get rewarded for that. So we, it shows the continuation of the, of the earthly body with the heavenly body. We don't, we, 
John Doe is going to be John Doe in heaven, and Susie Q is going to be Susie Q in heaven. There's not going to be a difference. There's going to be a numerical identity, as the theologians say. Now, there's going to be a transformation in one sense, because the earthly body is earthly, it's perishable, it's mortal, and the resurrected body is immortal, imperishable, and glorious. So there's discontinuity there, but there's continuity in the fact that you still, you can still recognize who it is. People knew who Jesus was when they saw him. There were some exceptions of that because of grief and so forth, but generally they knew who they were looking at. They were looking at Jesus. And just as his resurrection body, just as he is the example for all of the church's resurrection body, is an example for Christians' resurrection bodies. All right, so we must all appear, assuming that we is all, we Christians, we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ. Now, a lot of theologians make the distinction between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment at End of the world where all the bad guys get judged. This is because of pre-mill eschatology where the judgment for the good guys happens before the millennium a thousand years later. The judgment for the bad guys happens. I think that is utterly unscriptural. I know there's lots of very well-known pre-mill theologians out there. know a lot more than me, but I honestly do not believe that that makes any sense at all. I think it's a general resurrection at the end of time. As all non, there's a lot of accomplished non-premill theologians who also agree with me on that, I might add, that the judgment is of believers and unbelievers all at the same time. But at any rate, Paul shows, I guess maybe what he's doing is saying, look, even though I'm talking about that great glorified body compared to this weak temporary tent that we're living in down here, that doesn't mean that what we're down here is no good. He's not going to be Gnostic about it and start denigrating the body so much that we can just do whatever the heck we want with it, abuse it, use it in immoral activities, practice asceticism on it. No, he's not going to say that because he says each may be repaid for what he has done in the body. So your body is important. You go out and rob a bank, you can't say, well, that's just my body that did it. No, no, no. Your body is an expression of your soul, your nasty soul. Okay, here's another scripture that talks about this being judged at the tribunal of Christ or the judgment seat of Christ, as the NIV puts it. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, this is Paul talking about being judged for his apostolic work. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down, the foundation of the churches. Well, actually, here he's talking about the found, that foundation is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation for any church that he might establish. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. And he's talking about the people who come in after the church is established, and they teach, and they edify, and they build up, and so forth. If anyone's work that he has built survives, I suppose that means if the church survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved, and it will be like an escape through fire. So you see, good things are happening, but unfortunately, bad, and the bad thing, we want the bad things to be burned up in our lives. We don't want them to follow us into the afterlife. And the tribulation of Christ here, like I said, some theologians take 1 Corinthians 3, that, the verse I just quoted, and this verse here. 2 Corinthians 5.10 is referring to the judgment seat of Christ, which is before the millennium. Oh, no, I don't think so. It's talking about the great white throne judgment of Revelation, as John Gill says. Ladies and gentlemen, I am finished with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. In our next audio, we will continue on in 2 Corinthians 5 and finish the chapter. Paul talks about being an ambassador of Christ with a ministry of reconciliation. I hope you stay tuned for that audio, and I hope you enjoyed this one. 